You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. Welcome to Wealth Without Bay Street. We're pumped. We're uh, very excited to have joining us today, Mr. David Stearns. David is the president of Infinite Banking Concepts. He's a board member of the Nelson Nash Institute, and we couldn't be any more excited to have him here with us today. So welcome, David. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always good to talk to somebody north of the border. So here we go. (laughs) Good to be with you. And uh, we wanted to start today's episode by just sharing. So for for listeners who aren't aware, so David Stearns is also uh, the the late uh, R. Nelson Nash, the developer, the pioneer, the founder of the process of becoming your own banker, infant banking uh, concepts. And David Stearns is Nelson's son-in-law. And so David, we thought we would uh, start off the episode today by just maybe having you share with our listeners, what is inspiring you to carry on the message and to help others um, really understand the essence of, of who Nelson was and just uh, the level of impact that uh, he continues to have today. Okay, great. I sure will. You, you introduced me as Nelson's son-in-law. I like to believe that I'm more of a guinea pig. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, he would, he would introduce me as the, the single most uh, prolific IBC practitioner with a small P on the planet. That's because he set me up way back when, okay, buy this, sign that, you know, you get this policy. <laughs> and, and of course I didn't know what I was doing and I did whatever he told me to do. But uh, it, so that's, you know, I, you know, not only do, do, do I want to continue his legacy through the Institute, but uh, I think it's just critically important that we move people out of the retail commercial banking sector into into the the insurance sector for their their banking purposes, and it took me a long time to really understand what that meant, what that looked like, and you know the first time I I met Nelson was seventy nine, and I started working with him uh, with IBC in, in two thousand in in officially in two thousand and four, but the light didn't really go on for me until about I don't know maybe eight or nine years ago. And so what he has instilled in, within me is, is a passion to, uh, to teach the public, the general public, both the Canadian public and the U.S. public, the truth about what's really going out there in the financial world, mm-hmm. okay? And that's it, because, you know, you watch TV, you listen to all these newscasts, you listen to all these financial networks and whatnot, and they're talking within the problem, within the construct that they've created, and so it's so it's so crystal clear to me that uh, if we educate the people out there, they, they'll see that there's much more to it than than what they're being told. So we, you know, Nelson was singular in his message, and his passion was was genuine. And I don't think I'll ever be able to replicate that. But uh, I, you know, I do believe that what he taught us is 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 biblically true. And uh, it's, we're on a mission at the Institute to push it forward and to expand it and keep going. You know? That is um, so interesting to hear you say. And one of, the, one of the comments that 
you had made in the film, there's, uh, for our listeners, there's a documentary film titled This Is Nelson Nash. It's available to the world on YouTube. An amazing film. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. And David, mm-hmm. uh, you made a, a comment in the film where you said, this is, a, this is not a financial plan. This is a lifestyle. And that, even for me, in, when I saw that in the film, I remember, Richard, I connected reach out and said, oh my God, like that, that was such a powerful comment. Great statement, yeah. And we utilize that in discussion with people who are, you know, really beginning their journey with the process. And so David, mm-hmm. would you mind just expanding, you know, from your perspective, how would you describe this process of becoming your own banker to the general public and maybe share a little bit more about that specific comment when you said this is a lifestyle, it's not a financial plan. What did you mean by that? Okay. Uh, let me start off with a Nelsonism, then I'll move into something more personal. <laughs> you know, he always said that you need to be in two businesses, right? Your whatever your profession is, as a as as a business plus banking. Yeah. Okay. So when he says you, you should be in banking as a primary business, then that's not a financial tool. That's a a major part of your life. Uh, you're working 40 hours a week or whatever you're doing to earn income. And the rest of the time you're using uh, the, the banking process to, to store and warehouse that money and then the utilization of it. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the basis where I was coming from. But the lifestyle piece of it for me is that, you know, you know, as Nelson's Guinea pig, uh, I didn't, I mean, I got to, we got to the point where, where, you know, every, Every check we wrote was the insurance companies, whether in the form of premiums or loan repayments. Uh, and it, you know, it initially it was it was it was uh, painful because we were stretching our limits and growing. Uh, but the more the more I did it, the more I thought about it. You know, Kim and I, we both feel the same way about this. By the way, that you know, every time we had a, a, a premium due or whatever, then it, we just felt like we were depositing, you know, our income into, into our systems of policies. And it was just, our, it was just something that we did naturally. It was an organic kind of movement, you know, and yeah, a checking account was used to warehouse the money until we could get it out of there. Yeah. But uh, you know, we're up to 26 policies now and uh, we're lagging behind. We, I need to need to, to buy two more. Uh, on grandchildren. <laughs> I mean, I need to, I didn't say I want to, I said I need to buy yeah. two more and two grandchildren. And unfortunately my agent uh, is no longer with us. Um, so I'm interviewing other people for that, pick up that role. But anyway, so it's the more money we can put in, in our banking system, uh, the better we feel about things. And it's, it's just a natural progression. Uh, you know, I just, you know, I believe the one thing I like about the Austrian School of Economics, to me, it's organic. Yeah. Uh, you know, the supply and demand, it's a, life, it's a life cycle itself, how it works, where you, you contrast that against, you know, more of a socialistic, you know, uh, system where it's based on models and, and correlations and whatnot. So, you know, I just think life, you know, lifestyle banking is, is, is a good term. And it, in it, you meet it where you're at, you know, you can only do so much and you, you, you progress as you can. So that, that's kind of where I was coming from. 
I love how you use the the term organic and and what I'm what I'm picking up on there uh, to reframe it a little bit, uh, David. What I hear is that it it was about a, a habit forming, habitual nature over time. That natural progression, you would get a policy. You started with one, then you went and got another one, then you went and got another one, and and it became to the point where it it was just such a commonplace thing. The utilization of capital now flowing through policies versus the way that you had been doing it previously that now it's that organic nature, that habit had been formed over a period of time. And obviously, you know, being the guinea pig, as you identified, Nelson drilled a lot of that into you. But, you know, one of the things that Nelson, in my experience, was so amazing and good at, what I know for Jason and I, was letting us find our own way a little bit. He would, he would dangle a carrot of information in front of you without giving you enough details. And he would force your brain to think about a solution and, and get creative on it and find a way that made sense to you. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was just a, such a skillful art, the way that he would do that. He would, and, say, and, he would say so much without saying anything at all. I mean, how, how guru-like can you well, get? <laughs> and then when you would call him and say, I think I figured it out. This is the approach I'm going to take. And you knew you got it right if he said, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly what he used to do. And he was also, he was the master. If He always put emphasis on 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 the, the things that weren't important in a conversation. And he dropped hints about what was important yeah. and see if you picked up on them like that. So you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, one of the big things nowadays in the infinite banking world that I don't necessarily agree with, but it's big out there is all these huge policies, you know, buy, you know, get the biggest policy you can get the first, the first day and overfund the crap out of it initially. And, uh, and you'll, you know, you'll be set. Okay. Well, a lot of people can't do that. Right. Right. So they do what they can do. And then as they, as their life progresses, as, as their, their wealth grows, as their family grows, as their business associates change, then you can progressively increase your portfolio, uh, which is what we kind of did. So you start off with one, you end up with, with as many as you need, you know, that's right. So, I love how you use the words uh, portfolio because that's something that I picked up from you. Um, I know when we were, when we were last, one of the last times I was down in Birmingham, we were at your house and we were having lots of general discussions about things and it was in relation to the film, but you talked about having a portfolio of policies, having a, a loan portfolio as, mm-hmm. and you talked about it in such a way as it was just this true aspect of your life yeah. in the same way that someone who is totally unfamiliar with the concept and what it, what it is would be talking about like, their other wealth portfolio in the traditional sense and the traditional means. And I just found that a very interesting connection because that goes back to that organic aspect that you've created and that implemented that lifestyle banking. It's, it's literally an infused aspect of your financial life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the one thing that uh, I absolutely really love is the talk that David did at one of the annual infinite banking think tank uh, conferences and that might even be something that we can make available, you know, as a link to our listeners as well, because I think it's just so impactful. Um, you know, many of us, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we weren't the only ones who approached David and, and said like that, that was one of the best talks ever at a think tank, because right. it really got to the essence of what the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept is all about. And so David, like that, that talk was just incredible. And I think our listeners would really benefit from it. Well, to give everyone who's listening a framework, you know, David, 
uh, was gracious enough to show the practitioners at this event really kind of crack open the hood a little bit and show uh, the different policies in his family system and and how and and also how they had progressed over time. Yeah. What what was the reason that we got this policy? Well, you know, I mm-hmm. I, I I retired and they were going to pay me a pension. Well, yeah. You know, I had to but I had to contribute this amount of money. Well, if I was going to contribute the money anyway, Nelson taught me that I had to be an honest banker and do that, which meant if I'm not going to give those guys the money, I better give that money to the family through a banking system that was another policy. And so literally the, the step-by-step intentional creation of policies on, so, on this person's life, on that person's life, and how it progressed was uh, uh, just such a really cool experience to sit and walk, have you walk everyone through. And I know there was a lot of aha moments for the people that were in the room that day. And myself, I wasn't actually there at that event. So I, I had to wait. I heard about it. Oh. And then I had to wait to watch the, the video afterwards. And so I, like, I've put that thing on repeat and I've watched it several times because there's, there's so many nuggets and takeaways that you captured. Um, you know, and that, you know, and you mentioned earlier here in our call that uh, you're at 26 now, just two more that you need to get, need not want to, need to get. Yep. And uh, maybe if you can walk the folks through a little bit, just, you know, what were, what were some of, when you just think back on uh, how so many of these policies came about, what are a couple that stick out for you about the, the reason that you got them and, and how that you've used them a little bit? Well, I guess the first one is the, is the, the most uh, memorable one. And, you know, everybody thinks Nelson Nash woke up one day and all of a sudden IBC was in his brain. You know, it was, he, it was a, a progression for him also. Yeah, if you read the book, you see the aha moment when he was praying on his knees at three o'clock in the morning, right before he was getting ready to to file chapter 11. It's like, how do Lord, I got myself in this mess. How do I get myself out of this mess? And then he, then he, then he realized that he had the capability of doing that, but that wasn't IBC. That was survival. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my first one was when he actually sold me a policy and it was just like, you know, a life insurance policy, a whole life policy. We didn't know anything about PUAs back then. And uh, I don't even have that policy anymore. I 1035 did. I exchanged it for another one. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, something that was more better performing. And I probably made a mistake by doing that, but that, that, that obviously was, was memorable. But the one you, you uh, referred to Richard, you know, I retired from the army after, after quite a while. And one of the things they have in the military, you get a pension and it's a certain percentage, you know, per year times the number of years served or whatever. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's good. As long as the government is still, it's got assets to pay you. <laughs> but one of the things that, that they, that the government has in the United States through the military is a survival uh, benefit program. And they push that hard. And all it is, it, it's what it's supposed to be is if, if the retiree passes, then his spouse will receive like up to 55% of his retirement pay. Yeah. And, and all it is is a term insurance policy is all it really is. And you pay a certain percentage every month while you're receiving your retirement pay to fund that. And so if you pass, then guess what? She gets her money. Well, I did the math on it and it was like, well, this, I can, I can go out and buy a IBC policy for the same amount. And my annual premium is going to be like probably, I don't know, $4,000 a year. And then I can recapture, you know, uh, all my, my premiums, you know, by year 13 and, and forget about what I'm doing. You know, if I pass or fail or whatever, yes, on me and my wife owns it, but she's going to have so much more uh, than, than some government term policy. And oh, by the way, uh, we can use it. 
<laughs> I mean, I got something I can use, you know, for yeah. banking where I can't use, you know, some, some term things for the U.S. government. So that, that was a big one. And, you know, we have four children and we have seven grandchildren. And I like to say my kids get IBC, uh, but they don't fund it as much as they should. Mm. And so, you know, uh, we're the first ones to buy policies on the grandchildren, um, even before they do on their, their own children. And, um, and so the last policy bought, so it was the most important one in my mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, so the first one I got, my retirement policy, and then the, the last one I bought on a you know like a one month old grand, grandson's important. I'm going to buy one right now. Hang on, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, it's every uh, time, David. Like every time we go to think tank, every single time, and we we end up spending a little extra time in Birmingham, and we're we're all literally at some point saying. The, the moment I get back, I'm yeah, getting an application get in for another policy because we get so inspired. And the, the one thing I, I would love for you to share, David, is that, so you spent more time with Nelson than anybody. And one of the things that Nelson would say repeatedly is the more you see this pro- process of becoming your own banker, the more you will see you didn't see. And so if you think of something recent in terms of, has anything come up for you that, where you, you, you saw it and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, Nelson was so right because I didn't see it before. I, th- I think I can answer that more by saying that, uh, you know, like you said, I spent more time with Nelson than probably anybody, and especially in the last, you know, 16 to 18 years. And, uh, you know, every day when somebody says something, and it's not just related to IBC. It's any, anything about life. Uh, I hear him. I hear him echoing it, uh, his approach, his comment uh, in in my brain, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just like, yeah, you know, I, I knew I'd miss him when he when he when he passed, obviously, because yeah. you know he's he's such an influential person, and he. But I mean, every every day, it's I can hear him just talking in the back of my head. Name it anything, you yeah. know, and so I, I didn't. I didn't anticipate that, uh, right. and you know, out there, out there in in uh, IBC world, out there, there's so many different variations of what's going on out there. You know, what's true, what's not. You know, why do why do we have to rename? You know, infinite banking to all these different variations. That you know the to promote what we're teaching or to hide what we're teaching. So he, um, you know, we, we look at that and he just, he just says, you know, you, you have to, you have to teach the public. He told, he asked me, he told me this, he told Carlos Laura this and Robert Murphy, your, your main goal is to teach people how to, how to listen to the noise yeah. out there. And so the more I'm doing this now without him, like I said earlier in this conversation with the financial news networks and whatnot, the more I'm able to see the noise in, in, the, in the mainstream media and the more I can see the noise out there in social media, YouTube, Bill. And, and the focus there is to educate, 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 and teach everybody how to 
go through the, the noise and, and, and pick out the truth, you know? Well, and speaking of a couple of education tools that we would highly, highly recommend uh, to listeners would be uh, a couple of books on the subject. Um, and so the first book being, of course, uh, Becoming Your Own Banker, which was authored by the late R. Nelson Nash. And secondly, would be The Case for IBC. And I'll tell you, the, the second edition is amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And so for folks who are listening, uh, if you want to educate yourself on this process, there's no better way to begin than to read these two books. And so one of the things that we'll do for listeners as well is we'll provide a link for folks who want to purchase and get their hands on it. Yeah. And it's just so important to get this knowledge in your hands. And something I want to share on this too, Jason, is that what I really love about the case for IBC, other than just, it's a great book and it's a, and it's a pretty quick read for folks. Um, is I, I love the subtitle. It's how to secede from our current monetary regime, one household at a time. And what's beautiful about the back of the book, it says crises, bailouts, and instability. There is a path out. This book will show you the way. And I think that those are powerful uh, statements. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a roadmap for how you can take more control over your own capital ultimately. And, and you don't need, one of the things I remember so much about Nelson saying, look, you don't need to ask permission to do it. Right. We don't need to have, you know, this is not a top-down thinking. It doesn't require a government solution or whatever. This is a bottom-up solution. Whereas the, at the individual basis, the household level, the business owner basis, we can just slowly step out of the system and have more control over our day-to-day money one, one, one day, one moment at a time by implementing this over a period of years, which is exactly what you've been able to do so effectively, you know, uh, you know with, with your own efforts, but also due to Nelson's influence, David. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We would have never done it without him. There's no doubt about it. You're right. Yeah. In that book, the case for IBC, you know, that we put that together about, I guess about two years ago. And, uh, you know, Nelson used to do seminars all the time. You guys know that because he came up to Edmonton a bunch yeah. Did a bunch of stuff for you guys. Well, you know, we we put together an IBC seminar, you know, after he quit doing his. And so that book is essentially the seminar that we yeah. that we put together. So people can use that as a primer. And um, so, you know, they're pretty proud of that that thing. Of course, you can't replace becoming your own bank with anything. You know, that's agreed. That, that's that's the Bible. Period. That is. So true. One of the things that I wrote down in my book, um, which I I thought I wanted to share with you, David, is that I I wrote down what I would refer to as, I'm calling it rule six, because that's kind of what you had referred it to. And um, I remember when we were working towards, you know, working on the documentary film a little bit, you'd identified that if there were a six rule, Nelson's had, had, you know, his four primary rules for a long time. He added rule number five, which was rethink your thinking. And then you had identified, I remember, we, I think we were sitting on, in your living room somewhere, that if there was going to be a rule six, a rule six, in your opinion, would be plan for windfalls. I found that to be a very powerful mm-hmm. statement, and, and, and you kind of expanded on it a little bit, but I'd really love to get your impact, your take on that, because in the, in the last number of years, that seemed to be a recurring theme that was brought up or, or came about mm-hmm. um, for yourself and, and maybe in discussions mm-hmm. that you have with Nelson. Right. Yeah. Um, well, the contrast plan for windfalls you have don't steal the peas, right? Yeah. Um, and we all we all know what that means. Um, and but the older Nelson got, and the closer he got to the end, he was concerned about um, his family specifically having places to put uh, 
windfalls on, on his passing. And it was, you know, that was a personal connection with him, with us, but it, it was much broader in scope uh, uh, because mankind's propensity to, to blow it, you know, and you go back and look at all these people that win these, these big lottery uh, windfalls, what do they do with it? They blow it and they have a miserable life after that. Yeah. And so he, he thinks it's critically important for us, for, for mankind to have a place to, to put windfalls that it will, that number one, they can't blow. Number two, it'll expand your banking system. Okay. And provide you, uh, you know, a lot, you know, you, you can catch up i.e. where you, you can have you know, a loan portfolio that's pretty extensive that's not been paid back, but the policy is still churning along. You're still making, you know, internal rate of return or whatever, and, and uh, you're still using it, but you have a, a large hole there, quote unquote, with the, your portfolio. Well, a windfall is going to fill it up quickly and you're right back where you were plus. Yeah. So the idea about, about you know, plan for windfalls is – it's it's almost like the forced saving aspect of a whole life policy anyway. It's a really a savings account. Well, a forced windfall uh, account gives you gives you the opportunity to to park large sums of money and not have and not have access to it to spend it. You know, right? So that, I think that's an important piece too. But it, it, like I said, it's kind of counter to the "Don't steal your peas" uh, mantra that Nelson preached over and over and over again. Also. I think it also connects with um, Nelson's first golden rule around thinking long range and, and thinking three generations past your own. What, what's your take on, on that first golden rule, David, as it relates to your experience with this process up to this point in your lifetime? Well, and your, and your, your own family. I mean, really, you've got kids and grandkids, so I think, the three generations. Yeah. Yeah. We, so, we, you know, we own policies on ourselves. My wife and I do each, each other, several on each other. Uh, we own two on each each kid, uh, each one of our childs. And then we own, uh, at least one, every grandchild. And the idea is to, is to not only have a, you know, you can only buy so much insurance on yourself and your spouse and you're uninsurable. Right. Yeah. And so you got to look for ways to, 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 to buy more. <laughs> I know it sounds, I know it sounds crazy. Okay. But you got to look for ways to buy more. And so, you know, one of the best ways to buy more is you buy them on your family members, right? Your, your children. Yeah. Uh, and then when you can't buy any more on them, then the, where do you go? The grandchildren. Um, and so of course, mortality costs are, are more, more efficient with the younger, the insured than they are with the older, obviously, even though that's not what this is all about, but it's also logically the best, pl- best place to do it. And so you have three generations with insurance. And then what do I do with a, with an L121? Does that, you know, is that Canadian? Yeah, in, it, well, in Canada, it's uh, still age 100. Okay. So what do I do with it with an L100 that I own on a one-year-old child? Am I going to collect that death benefit? No. Okay. So that's generational wealth transfer. Because that policy is going to that 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 child's parents, uh, and it's going to be up and running. It's going to be efficient because it's going to be fully capitalized, and it's going to provide them, uh, you know, something to use for that kid's college fund or whatever they want to do with it. So, 
think long range. Okay, you know, we're, we're, we're buying on grandchildren now and that's all we're, we're spending money on them. I'm not buying any more on myself or my wife or my, my children. Uh, and the idea that money, I'll use it as I need to because there are strategies for using that money in retirement. Uh, I see that money, the cash surrender values within those policies. Um, but the, really the idea is to, is to, is to pass that, that wealth to the next generation and then successfully to the one after that. One thing that you shared, David, when uh, we were in your home <laughs> filming um, what, what has now become an amazing documentary film, and you were talking about when we had this discussion around Think Long Range, and one of the things that you brought up, which again was so powerful, was you know there's a general rule of thumb in the business where the insurance company will permit uh, a starting death benefit on a child up to half of what the parents have mm-hmm. on their own lives. And David had shared, he said, well, one of the things that the reason why we do this is that we crank up these policies at such an early age for these grandchildren and even children is so that when they're having children of their own, their policy death benefits are so massive that you can create even larger starting death benefits on, on, on the following generation. And so it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember sending a text to a number of folks who obviously weren't there with us in, in that month um, prior to think tank back in uh, 2018. And I sent this text out and I said, this is something that David Stern shared with us. And it's just so incredibly powerful in being able to explain that to a parent who's thinking, oh, well, why can't I, I mean, I know I have a million dollar death benefit, but why can't I crank out a $2 million starting death benefit on my child? And mm. well, we can, again, if we go back to that think long range, this is all, all part of it. And so mm. that, you know, the things that um, really resonate, right? When you hear something and it just sticks with you. Well, I think that a lot of that came about because of circumstance. You learned that along the way because I think you'd encountered maybe some issues where you weren't able to do the type of policy you wanted. So maybe that would be a good uh, starting block to just kind of expand on that, David. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really not IBC. It's more, it's more insurance, uh, you know, underwriting issues um, where, you know, it, a lot of clients really want to, they, they want to start up a huge policy on a child or a grandchild. And they won't let, you know, companies won't let them do it because of underwriting restrictions. Uh, so like, like, like Jason said, you, you buy as much as you can as early on. And then if you, if you, if you structure the policy correctly, then your face value is going to be double. Yeah. Okay. Then what you, what the contractual uh, obligation is from the insurance company will be double in, in 20 years or even less than that, which gives you a much more room and flexibility to buy a larger policy on the next generation. Uh, and I know there's some gamesmanship there with different insurance companies and different things like that, but that, but typically that's just kind of the rule of thumb because they just don't get it. Uh, I would think if I was an insurance company, I'd want I'd, I would accept the biggest premium I could on the youngest person out there. <laughs> why not? But why not? Because you're going to, you, you're looking at a, a long premium payments, you know, schedule in front of you. And it's like, gee, that's a no brainer. Yeah. You know? Time value so, money. Oh, yeah. It's Yeah. Think long and, range, man, and, and capitalize, capitalize, capitalize. Absolutely. And th- thinking about, you know, one of the things that um, I, I guess that was so important 
to us is talking also about, um, we brought it up earlier, Richard, where Nelson had policies that he had on uh, joint venture partners or, or people that... People that weren't direct family members. Yeah, he had some kind of uh, business association with these people. And what, what is the status of, the, of those, David? Like, do some of those policies still exist? He had mentioned that um, because yeah. he, you know, he, he knew that those folks were all younger than him. Those policies were likely not going to mature before, before his own graduation. Right. And that right. He, he made a bit of a joke about who, who was going to line up, lend up with which policy. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, I'm well, pretty sure you got, you got one. Walk us through how that intergenerational. I, I don't know if you, yeah, I don't, I don't know how personal you want to get with this one, but yeah, they're, they're okay. There's me. Okay. There's Nelson's son, Barry, and there's his other son-in-law, um, Jake. Okay, so three three males were all about the same age, and he ended up after everything all the dust settled. He owned three policies on prior business associates, three. And Jake's a lawyer, okay, okay. And so one of these guys that he owned a policy on, he's owned for years. He didn't even know if the guy was alive or not. <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't find him, okay, and. I mean, you know, you can Google somebody's name and see if they're dead or alive, but he, we could not find this individual. So he, he gave that policy to Jake, the lawyer, and figured out he could find a guy easier than anybody else could. So, I mean, it's still an active policy. It's still, got, it's still having premiums paid on it. But the individual, insured individual, nobody knows where he's at. <laughs> and so... And so it'd be a little he, difficult he, to file a claim. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got to. I mean, he's got to find. Yeah, you never know, right? And yeah. I, and of course, I have one. The guy I have is, is local to Birmingham, so I can keep an eye on him. <laughs> 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 and and, and uh, Barry ended up with that one. So you know, one thing people don't understand about these insurance policies is you can change ownership. You know, they're unilateral contracts, right? That's right. The insurance company can't change it, but you can. Yeah. So how do you change it? You can change your beneficiary as many times as you want to. You can change the ownership as many times as you want to. The only thing you can't change, obviously, is, is who the insured individual is. Right. So the flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. So. Well, and what's really interesting about what Nelson shared with us when we were down there, we were, you know, I remember when he was kind of walking us through who was going to end up with which policy because <laughs> he'd, he'd had two death claims on previous business partners. Yeah. And he's, he says, I, look, I didn't buy these for death benefit. I bought these for cash. Yeah. And, and that's what I've done with them. That's what I've used them for. Well, I don't need this. I don't need this money today. What, what am I going to do with them? I can't take it with me. Yep. I got to pass it on. And so even if that one individual, that one, that one ex business partner that nobody can find, you know, that policy will mature. At some point, you know, I believe that's a mm-hmm. that's a one hundred pol- age one hundred policy, and so there's a death claim that will be paid, and it's going to go to to Nelson's family. It goes back into the system that he started so long ago, yeah. and it's that ripple. It's that it's a it's a th- it's a stone cast in the water that just continues to create a ripple along the family line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so powerful. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, very powerful. David, any, any, um, anything that you'd like to share with listeners, you know, who never had the opportunity to be introduced to or to get to know Nelson, what, what would you share about him with our listeners? Uh, well, I think, I think the essence of who he was is, is, is represented in the movie you mentioned before. This is Nelson Nash. So, so I, I'd encourage everybody to go watch that movie. It's 60 minutes long, something like that. Like I said, we, we decided to go throw it up on YouTube 
in Facebook because we, we wanted to, to, you know, share his legacy with as many folks as possible. So that's a good starting point. And, and we really kind of did that. So folks who never had an opportunity to really know him could get a feeling for where his starting point was. But, you know, Nelson was definitely different. Okay. Uh, and if I contrast his intellect and his personality with mine, then we thought opposite. I mean, really did. I'm a, I'm a kind of a compliance guy, kind of, you know, linear thinker. And he was just, he was just one of these guys that was, that would spend hours and hours and hours thinking through things. Yeah. And he would, you know, he, he say that, that the genesis of that was when he was a forester and he spent days in the, you know, walking, you know, Timberland by himself, you know, counting trees or whatever the heck they did. And then just pondering on everything. And so uh, he just, you know, he, he thought totally opposite for me. And, and I, I spent, we spent a lot of time here, me, me just asking him, you know, you know, what you're saying, this is what this means to me. And he said, you know, nope. you think about it you know think about it you know how how you doing it so uh the folks that that the the people that really get who he is when they say they've read his book like eight or nine or ten or twelve times then those are the folks that i that i believe that they really they really do know who he was okay the ones that just say yeah yeah i read the book yeah it was really good you know it's like Okay. (laughs) But so, so because, you know, he's, he was just, he was just different. Okay. Uh, And, and he was a, he was a visual person uh, also because he was, uh, you know, as a forester, he he really believed in, they did a lot of, you know, like, uh, you know, photographic analysis of the terrain and stuff from, from, from airplanes back then, I guess they do them all by satellite now. So he was really always into geography and visual things and he just loved one of his one of his visual uh things that he liked to show share people was a cross cut of a tree a pine tree if you remember that you can remember see the well. you can see the the growth the growth lines in that thing and how he looked at that image of a pine tree that was i don't know 80 90 100 years old and equate that to you know to uh you know financial growth uh, you know that visual. So that's what kind of guy he was. He just he just always thought outside the box. He talked he talked in parables. He was he was he was a, a, a devout Christian, and he, he didn't hide behind that. But it was just it's what it's what generated everything he did. And I remember when he he'd do his seminars. He, you know, you remember he used to do two hours the first night. Yeah. Yep. And to me, that was the best part. That was like the two hours was like wow. And then you just couldn't wait to get started again the next morning. And he kicked off the next morning. He, he, you're ready to get going with it. And he'd say, listen, he goes, you guys know that I'm a Christian. And he'd tell you when he, when he, you know, gave his life to Christ and whatever. And he says, if you guys aren't Christian or religious, I guess I'm going to expand that a little bit, I guess. He say, then what I'm talking about in this seminar, it doesn't mean anything. You and I must, we need to have a much more serious conversation. Yeah. And it was like, boom. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought we are talking about infinite banking okay so he was um, a master uh, storyteller i like how you addressed you know kind of that visual arrangement because 
all of the analogies that he did and talked about that are in that are in the book that are what were in a seminar the things that he did on a consistent basis they were all he would walk you through something that you could picture it in your mind as he did it yeah, and mm-hmm. i think you know when you can take the words and you can vocalize that so someone can have a visual picture in their head the ability for someone to take the information in and, and then and then actually run with it do something with it it was really enhanced and that's something i felt i i personally really appreciated and loved about Nelson. I thought it was, uh, it just made him such a, such a powerful presence, such a unique individual to be able to relay concepts and ideas to people. Um, I mean, just, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we miss him every single day. That, that is a very true statement. But, I, uh, you know, he gave us some pretty clear marching orders. <laughs> <laughs> Build that yeah. 10%. Fellas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Build. you know, one of the questions I'd, I'd like to capture, uh, from you, David is just, you know, we, we had the pleasure and the privilege to be able to spend some time in your home and, and totally destroy your living room for, for the filming operation that took place for the documentary <laughs> film. Um, and I, I was really curious to hear maybe from you because there was some, you, you had shared that there were some things that came out of that. And there's, there's so much footage, obviously, that didn't make the actual documentary film. There's lots of stuff still yet to be um, mm-hmm. somehow put out there that, that the public may be able to get uh, or advisors may be able to have access to at some future point. But you had identified that there were some things that you were surprised that you 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 not had not necessarily heard him really go into depth on or speak about when we were capturing some of those interviews. And I was just curious, maybe, to get your take on on the experience of doing that and going through that process while it was happening in your own living room. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it's uh, you know the the wife factor and plays a big part in that too when when somebody's going to film a one-on-one interview you don't think that's much disruption like you said but you know when the the film crew moves all the furniture out of the house <laughs> <laughs> it's like oops you know this is painful yeah. but yeah when, you know when uh i get when nelson gets on film you know he just you never know what you're going to get uh and it's usually pretty funny and I know you two guys did a lot of the interview, or I guess you did all the interview. Yep. And your questions, uh, some of them he hadn't he hadn't gotten to in a long time. Right? And he had, Nelson hadn't really thought about him. And so you know his responses or whatever were some, you know, would, would, is what I was kind of referring to. It's like yeah, I haven't heard that in a long time, or yeah. I'd forgotten about that, or whatever. And so yeah, we we have a we have a lot of footage. And that, that will be coming out, you know, we just, we just have to, you know, figure out the best way to do it. Because my thought was, uh, you know, the first movie is about the first piece is about Nelson's Nelson as the man, as the Christian, as who he was. The second piece is more about IBC. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's when you start seeing those things, I think. And uh, just, just for a little plug here, one of the things that, that Carlos Bob and I are doing in the Institute is, is we're getting ready to uh, produce a, a video series for the public. Okay. Awesome. And it's just going to be, it's going to be something that's not super grandiose, just a, a series for them. Uh, so they can, they can hear it from us of, of what we think is important and what all this means. And so when they come and look for Jason Lowe and Richard Canfield, you guys will be speaking the same language, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and so speaking of uh, speaking the same language, so we want to let our listeners know infinitebanking.org. That's infinitebanking.org. That's a, a website that you will definitely 
want to visit. And David, we just appreciated having you as a guest on our show. And uh, Richard, were there any uh, closing comments that you wanted to share with our listeners as we wrap up this episode? Well, I, I just, um, I, I think everyone who's had a chance to listen to this, uh, I would absolutely encourage you to check out Nelson's website. Um, you know, David is an unbelievable representation of um, a strong leader that we need in the Institute and, and to help carry and take forward Nelson's legacy. Definitely. And, you know, for me personally, and Jason, I think you would echo this as a, as an authorized practitioner, you know, I'm excited about what the future holds and how we can help uh, continue to take Nelson's legacy forward, to help more and more people. And so I believe that, um, you know, having a, fo- uh, a, a powerful individual like David, um, at the helm to be able to help us see that vision uh, come to life uh, in Nelson's absence is going to be really impactful. And I'm excited about what the journey holds. And, and I encourage our listeners to, uh, you know, to keep tabs on it and follow along and, um, uh, and, and think about what, what this idea of building the 10% is all about. And if you're not sure what we're talking about when we say that, you can learn a little bit more about that by going to infinitebanking.org. Definitely. Right. And uh, David, any uh, closing comments you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I just really appreciate the opportunity to share with you guys. It's, it's always good to see you because, you know, uh, I've, I've said this before that I think per capita, the Canadians get IBC more than Americans do, you know, mm. uh, and I know there's differences in, you know, tax structures and things like that in the insurance industry up here, but, but, you know, you guys get it. Okay. And not only do you get it, but you, 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 you teach it correctly, which is critically important. Uh, that's kind of why we, we started the practitioner program because we wanted to make sure that the public was being taken care of. And then not only are they, I mean, getting the right policy is one thing, but being coached and mentored on how to use these things is very, very important. And, and uh, so any time we can promote that and get, get folks like you on board and, uh, tell people where to go and look for this, the right folks, the right practitioners is an opportunity that I don't want to miss. So Um, we appreciate that very much. And for, for listeners, as you're educating yourself on this process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept, what's so important is to work with an authorized infinite banking practitioner and on the uh, infinitebanking.org website, there is a practitioner finder. So whether you're listening in Canada or whether you're listening in the United States, uh, the practitioner finder makes it ridiculously simple to get in touch with someone, to connect with them right through the website, submit your initial inquiry, and be sure to ask as many questions as you have. We always share with folks, don't do anything with this process unless you feel that you have clarity. And that's one thing that an infinite banking practitioner who's authorized mm-hmm. with the Nelson Nash Institute is going to be able to help you achieve that clarity and to be able to really understand the message in a way that Nelson intended the message to be delivered. And so, David, again, it was so good to be with you. We appreciate you. For all our listeners, this is another episode of Wealth Without Bay Street. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you real soon. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.